We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. You ever wanted to try something new but just couldn't quite figure out how to get it done? Well, here's some answers when it comes to instructional rounds. See, the idea of instructional rounds sounds fairly easy, but what you're going to learn in this Part two episode with Vicki Wilson is that you need to focus on a number of things. The two major ones being positivity is key and grassroots is the answer. Hey everyone, Dr. Jones here and welcome to another episode of Seeing to Lead. And this week is part two from Vicki Wilson. And if you didn't catch last week's, boy, that is an episode you are not going to want to miss. And if you caught it, I'm sure that's why you're listening to this week's because it is that good. And she continues to offer excellent advice in this one. You see, we go through all things instructional rounds in this. She takes us from the beginning of planting seeds at staff meetings like give one, get one, different ways to include people, making sure the process is voluntary. So everybody gets to join in when they're comfortable enough to do so. You see, she also talks about when you're done making special time to validate the hosts of your instructional rounds so that you build that intrinsic value within them so they continue to participate because we want to remain positive about everything. And when you do that and those intrinsic feelings of value build up, well, that's what creates a grassroots change for the better. Vicky also offers some fantastic ideas around how to include the principal in these rounds, whether they're leading them or just a participant. And these tips will help them be even more successful. Look, in the end, no matter how much we talk about positivity or grassroots change, what we're really fighting is isolation. Isolation is the enemy of innovation and a positive culture. So have a listen to Vicki as she explains some real concrete ways to combat isolation and reach higher levels of success. But don't take it from me. Let's hear from Vicki in part two on Seeing to Lead. Let's talk about flex time in schools. The potential benefits to our students make it worth exploring. More time for personalized learning, increased choice and agency for students, and the increased engagement that comes along with it. Dedicated time for intervention. Overall, as school leaders, it gives us and our faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But the implementation and management of flex time can be a challenge. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold us back from ensuring students make good use of their time. I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. 
MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and an intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. Want to see for yourself? Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. Flips two really important lenses there, and one is to go from a deficit to a strength-focused lens, but then also to go from top-down to a grassroots lens. So, you know, take a look at the things that are in place in your school and, and start thinking of things through flip lens or if something's not working right. How can, I, how can I flip some lenses and see if I can change things up in a way that would benefit teachers and their learning and their development so that in in the end that's going to benefit kids. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better now you talk and so okay so along those lines you talk about what a shame that would have been you do your instructional rounds it's grassroots you don't force anybody to have people come in they can they can come in as they want i think about how i do i open up every staff meeting with what i call gratitude and it's it's basically shout outs to different staff members of things that have really kind of stood out that i noticed and then I open it up to the staff and the staff give shout outs back and forth to each other. So it, it increases that awareness of things that are going on around the building that people might not know of. And I, I think about what you just said, instructionally speaking, because it's not always about instruction, these shout outs, going the extra mile type of things. Yeah. Is there any point where you would share out the reflections of these things you say, not necessarily about the teacher, but hey, we went into five classrooms the other day, and the thing that's really knocking it out of the park for the students is like, did you ever do anything like that? Like share this knowledge out to the greater staff? Yes. In fact, when we, fir- when we first kicked it off, I was strategic, although I don't know if that was hindsight, and I realized I was brilliant after the fact, or if I really did it, I don't remember anymore, but <laughs> I've all those, I do have moments where I realized I was brilliant, but didn't know until after. <laughs> it might have been one of those things. So when we first did our first official instructional rounds, I planned it on a day that we would be having a staff meeting. And I had a plan for the staff meeting that I was hoping to bail from because what I really wanted was for what happened that day to be so great that we would spend our entire staff meeting having those that were observers share what that experience was like going into classrooms and then having the dialogue afterwards. And then those that were hosts that opened their rooms that then have time to share what it was like having a group of people come in and watch them for 10 minutes and then step outside and talk about them 
knowing it's positive talk, but still, they're going to talk about me for, for five minutes. And I'm happy to report that I was able to bail on the plan B letter plan that I had for our meeting. And we spent the whole hour just talking about um, what we saw, what in the observers talked first and they talked about, um, you know, when I went in this person's class and they, and everything was framed around positive and then framed around the impact of ch- that children got out of it, but also the impact that they got out of it as a professional and how they want to try something or change a practice or tweak a practice. And so now at this point, our host teachers are feeling pretty amazing in the staff meeting. And, you know, it was a big risk for them to open up their classrooms for colleagues to come in. And so then they talked about, you know, what it felt like and, you know, and they shared it. I was very nervous. Like, well, people don't just naturally come in to watch you teach unless it's your evaluator and there to evaluate um, and give you feedback positive and negative on on what happened. So that's all they're used to. So to have a group now come in and then talk positively was a big deal. So now they're feeling as high and wonderful as can be. And they talked about, you know, kind of overcoming that and how the 10 minutes went so fast. And they couldn't believe that once we were in, we were out right away. But the observers are like, I can't believe how much I got out of 10 minutes. I felt like, you know, knew you can get that much reflective learning from being in one place for being in a classroom of someone else's for 10 minutes. So so that really um, created some momentum to keep going. So when I work with any kind of schools on picking this up, that's one thing that I do recommend that they do is to do that so that you're going to have some time together where you can share right away around what you did. The other thing that's really important to the process is we need to make time to validate those hosts because that is the riskier position to open your room to people. And so at the end of, at the end of our four sets of 10 minutes plus five minutes, and then we, we have our validation conversation and then our growing conversation, then we all take note cards and each of us will write a note of very specific validating feedback to each of the classroom teachers that we saw so that they know personally um, what we saw that was very meaningful to us. Um, We include like what the impact we noticed on the students, um, what we're taking away from it and how that we can grow from what we saw. And so at the end of the day or at lunchtime, they go to their mailbox and it's just full of note cards that are giving them all these affirmations and validations of that good work that they're doing. And, you know, that helps to make it really contagious too. And, and, you know, you just want to do that again. So again, at our staff meeting, they talked about what it felt like to get those note cards and that it's more powerful than any kind of feedback they've ever gotten from an administrator, Um, no matter how glowing it was to get peer feedback was, so much more meaningful and, you know, just even more meaningful from than the, you know, letters they get from families and all, all that's wonderful, but this is different. And it's, that's been a really powerful part of it too. That's fantastic. And I'm so glad you mentioned the, the positive affirmation piece, because I can see, I can see how meaningful that is 
to teachers. We do a, we have a teacher of the month every month and it's by the students. The students vote the teacher of the month and the president of the student council announces it at every faculty meeting. That's the last piece of gratitude we do. And all the teachers that had something written about them receive those notes, even if they didn't win in their mailboxes. Wow. And that is, that is a constant discussion about how much that means to them. It, it almost becomes, and I don't want to say it doesn't even matter if they win or not, but um, because to some, I'm sure it does. To others, I'm sure it doesn't. Yeah. But just the idea that they, they received those notes and they, they were being thought of is, is really powerful. Absolutely. You know, and just to validate you on the moment of brilliance thing, uh, the staff meeting, my, my youngest son, and I'll go quick because anybody that knows me knows that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gushing father, but my, my youngest boy, he um, blacksmiths and he wants to be a bladesmith. So he's out in the backyard forging and things like that. And every time something doesn't go quite the way it's supposed to, or it turns out like a really cool twist to something he made, he's like, yeah, by design, dad, by design. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and he kind of rolls his eyes a little bit. And he's like, yeah, I, I planned that, Dad. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure you're... Yeah, I get it. I know exactly what he's talking about. I do it all the time, too. Man, was I telling you there. Yeah, exactly. I think anybody that has moments like that and doesn't admit it, they might be trying to sell you something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, when you talk about... One of the biggest aspects that you keep revisiting on this is positivity. And, you know, write, write down from the beginning to to the end where you have those positive notes of validation. I have, I have kind of a, a double question for you. First is, how do you get people to sign up originally to have people come to the room? Is it a general throw out their invite or is there something special? And along those lines, do you as the administrator, because you're the evaluator, so we don't want to overlook the idea of what type of influence that has, do you go along on the instructional rounds to make sure that positive conversation only happens after leaving the room? And like, how do you shut that down? So if you could walk me through the beginning process, right? So how do we get teachers on board? And then how do you, as the administrator, make sure, or as the leader, make sure that everything stays positive? Yeah, those are very good and very important questions. It's by design. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) How brilliant you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I have only done volunteers and I do honor people going at it at their own pace. So um, when we were just starting, you know, in general, in your staff, and I think everybody can can relate to this, you're going to have your go-getters that are ready to jump in even before you finish saying what what it is you want to try to do. They're ready to sign up and try something new. So oftentimes you're process is going to start with with that personality of people. Like you'll have some ready to go. Yep, I'll open. Yep, I'll go and observe. Easier to get people to observe generally than the observe, than hosting um, because they're, that, that feels a little bit riskier, but you will still have at least a few that are ready to do that. So I, I really start there. I think it's important that there's a structured way to share with all staff after you do your first one or your first couple so that they start to, those that are interested, but maybe a little hesitant, don't want to be the first ones, will jump aboard after it happens a couple times and 
and their trust is gained that they're like, okay, there really hasn't been any negative talk or, you know, so-and-so did this and I can go talk to them and, and see if it, you know, was it really that positive? Was there any negative talk? And, you know, they'll, they'll start, you'll get a lot that'll jump in right after the first grouping. And then you're going to have others that are still going to just watch, watch for a while or, or maybe not even have the intention to do it at any time. I did, I will tell you, and, and people like to hear this part of it. It took about three years before I had everybody on my staff fully participating. So again, I didn't push it. I didn't have a goal that everybody would do it in the first year or everybody would do it in the first semester. There were some that just needed a whole lot more time and they needed to get comfortable with that. They would hear about it because people will talk about it. We did, we definitely had a norm that we would only have positive talk. And, and in my pre-meeting, I make that very clear. We'll only have positive talk in our five-minute debriefing and then our reflective conversations after and in the parking lot and at staff parties and in the staff room. Like it, I lay it all out there. Like there will only be positive talk about things that we see in, in our classrooms. And I find that staff adheres to that because they don't want to be negative talk. I'm not saying that there's there's never times that there's negative. We know that there's negative talk, but I have to say it has never been associated with our instructional realms because there's been such a impression made that when we do this, we must honor only positive talk. The leader has to be prepared though that if somebody did use that, opportunity and engage in some kind of talk about something negative that they saw in the classroom that the leader would have to address it. And your staff would have to know that the leader addressed that. And I think that in itself is enough. But like I said, I I do find that usually in in my school's case and some of the in the other schools that I've worked with, people do adhere by it because they they really don't want to mess this up. And, and if somebody does want to mess it up, they're probably not joining in in the first place. How do I get my reluctant people to, to jump in later? What I do is I just start inviting them. And sometimes that is, sometimes that's after I have an observation and a feedback meeting as their evaluator. And I am um, building up some of their positive practices in that feedback meeting. And I might say something like, gosh, it would be really great if some of your colleagues can see what you were doing. What's a way that you might be able to share that work with them? Now, they might come up with, I could talk about it in a staff meeting, but um, because it's such a part of our culture, they almost always say, I could do instructional rounds and make sure that's what I'm doing when they come through. So, you know, now they've been validated by me that this is a really strong practice, positive practice. This is the impact it's having on student learning. So it gives them a little bit of safety to know that if I did this, when someone came through with instructional rounds, I know that it's going to have some good conversation and good impact because I planted that seed. So I will, I never force, but I do invite. And now that I also have a literacy coach, I find that she'll do the same thing. Like she'll see someone um, trying 
So, and we're really trying to grow around our science of reading. And, and as these practices are shifting and changing, she'll encourage someone, you know, would you consider doing this for instructional rounds? I think that so many people on our staff can benefit from seeing that. So she'll sometimes plant a seed. They still have to volunteer. Um, I do put it out for all staff. Like I will send out a form and say, you know, if you would like to go on instructional rounds, put your name on this line and anybody that wants to do it will will sign up. And then if you're willing to host a round, please click all the available times that you can you know, that you can have visitors in your room. So they'll put them all through. So it's always done out to general staff and then um, and volunteers taken that way. And I think I said, it did take about three years before I had everybody participating. With that one, the person that, that waited the longest, I learned so much by listening to what her hesitation was. She was such a, a really, really great teacher and not an introvert. And it kind of, it confused me why, like, why she hadn't signed up to do it yet, and and I think it was similar to like that example I gave. Like, you know, this would be really great for your colleagues to see. What might be a way you could share this with them? And that's when she said, you know, I'm not ready for people to come in my room. She's like, I don't know why. I'm really nervous about it. And and I said, well, why don't you go on? Just sign up to be an observer. Like, you get a lot of great. You take an hour and a half break in your day and you get to look at other teachers and go in other classrooms. Like it's, it's a nice little break. And she's like, I really want to. She goes, but I don't feel like it's fair for me to get and not get. And that was something I'd never even thought of until I had that conversation with her. And she wouldn't observe until she was ready to host, even though that was not a rule. And many others observed several times before they would but in her heart, that wasn't fair to her. So like in that one-on-one meeting, I made like a, just a private rule with her. I'm like, okay, well, I have a new rule for you and only you. You have to observe three times before I'll even let you um, host a lesson because I, I just want you to see it. So think about when you want to observe, observe. And then it was funny because after the first time she observed, she's like, all right, I can do this. I'm ready. I'm like, Two more times and I, I helped you and I had to go on three rounds before she opened up and did an observation. You also asked about my role. I talked a little bit, like I, I definitely would have to be the person that addresses it if somebody did break the norm of not talking or about talking about anything negative. It's tricky for the building principal. Sometimes I think to separate themselves from the evaluator role and the facilitator of instructional rounds role. I do do it, but when I work with other schools, it's not what works for them all the time, although some will do it too. So if you're going to be a principal that's also the facilitator of rounds, then you have to be very, very intentional. And that there's a lot of nuances that you could easily do to make yourself seen as a facilitator, which is very different than, than being the evaluator. And one is just like, I'm walking around and talking. I carry different things in my hand. When I go in to observe, I've got a specific folder for an evaluation observation. I've got a specific folder. I sit and I make sure that my mannerisms and everything I'm doing looks completely different from one setting to, to the other. 
I also, there is a promise that we make that nothing around instructional rounds will be a part of the evaluation. And I, and I stick to that. And if, if I make a mistake, I would hope somebody would call me out on that. And I would tell my staff too, like, if I make a mistake, this is a promise. But if I make a mistake, please call me out on it. So like I did be really careful even in the beginning because I wanted to use positive things to support a positive evaluation. But I I quickly realized I can't do that either. Like I can't put anything in. It has to be totally, this is a unique piece that has nothing to do with, it's not going to play into your evaluation positively. It's not going to play into your evaluation negatively. So I, you know, I talk about classrooms being silos. That is an action that's kind of silo. This this doesn't seep into evaluation in in any way. So that has to be a promise that the principal principal makes to his or her staff. In that, other schools that I work with, they they have the some will have the principal participating, but not the facilitator. I do encourage that. There's enough fact size associated. I think it's a effect size of 0.83 when the principal is participating with professional development. So I think, you know, if you can have your principal in on it, that's important, but they have to only, they they have to use the lens of only positive two. And that can be tricky for some principals too. Like there was a school that I was working with and, and the principal went in as just a participant and she shared, she goes, Gosh, like I had to really work at it. I'm used to going in and looking for where's the opportunity for growth? Where's the opportunity for improvement? And and she's like, I really had to like not look for those, but look for what's happening that's having great impact on student learning right now. And like, and that can be tricky for some principals too, but not tricky. It's just that you have to have, you have to be aware of it and know, have that right mindset going into it. Some schools just have a teacher leader do it or like co-facilitators that are teacher leaders. Instructional coaches can be a good facilitator. And I do think principals, as long as they can keep that very separate and in their words, their actions, everything can also be facilitators. Thank you for that. That that clears up a lot. And I mean, the idea of going and observing people as a principal, if we're only focused on areas for growth, that's a whole other podcast episode we could do. We could talk about about perspective and, and so forth. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. You talk about so much and 
you know, Vicky, you just said so much about instructional rounds that's so helpful. And especially in the situation you were where you were combining two schools, which is often difficult. Let's I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get another moment of brilliance out of you here. Now that you're looking back, right? You have these two cultures, so to speak, for lack of a better term, that you're you're putting together and you're trying to implement these instructional rounds. If a principal wants to change a culture or is forced to change a culture or runs into a situation like this um, where they need to merge two schools, what's the first thing they need to focus on before they do anything else? Because there's so much to focus on, right? So before they even get bogged down in all the other things, what's the, what's number one? Number one, I think a principal just needs to get into those classrooms and start to identify those strengths. What are the strengths at play in in this room? What are what does this this teacher bring to our staff? To our staff as a whole, that's going to make us better. Identify it, see it, name it with that with that teacher, with that staff member. And and just start to build upon that. When you're in a position where you've got culture work to do, or or you're merging two schools, which automatically is going to be culture work, because there's a lot of threat involved in in that. I think you just really have to let go of those like individual opportunities for growth, like those individual observations. Like here's your weakness, is what you got to work on, or but start to look at, okay, where are your strengths and how can we utilize this to unify us as a whole? And how can I start to break down some of this isolation? I do think instructional rounds is a great, great way to do that. But you can't do that on month number two. You'd have to start planting seeds for it and, you know, start saying, boy, it'd be really great for, for someone you know, for us to start sharing some of these practices and maybe even start talking about them in staff meetings. You know, there's that exercise to give one, get one, you know, where you just walk around and, you know, you pose something, everybody come with with one strategy that um, hooked children in a lesson today. And then let's start getting people walking around and talking. And that starts building some comfort around talking around instructional practices and sharing positive ideas that they have. Awesome. So like I said before, you've said so much and now that whole last piece even overlaps to culture besides instructional runs. And even the little tidbit of how you can get this started by planting the seed. We're getting near the end of the podcast and there's two questions I ask every person. And this first one is interesting because you're on your first day of vacation as as we're recording this because you are yep. retired, correct? Correct. <laughs> Today is Monday and Friday was my last day as a principal. Well, uh, bittersweet, I hope, but that's awesome. To- Definitely. Um, if you weren't in education, <laughs> ooh, not what would you be? I am really glad you front-loaded me with that question because I think it's an a whole lot of thought. So I hope to have a really brilliant answer for you. <laughs> It'll be by design, um, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yes, <laughs> well. you'll see. You'll see. Okay, so I I did give this like probably way, way, way too much thought because like 
don't want to go into the fun area of like something different I'd like to do. But really, like I am not leaving education, but I'm leading, you know, the principal role. Like, how do I want to go into who can I be that would still influence and make a difference in education? So um, I'm going to do a little bit of a mashup here. I would like to be a small A because I like wine and I'm fascinated. I get very fascinated with wine pairing. Anytime I admit something that um, there's a wine pairing happening, I'm fascinated in how that pairing changes each, the, the drink that you're having and the food that you're eating together. And it first struck me like more than 20 years ago, I went to my very first wine pairing and it was a full menu and the dessert was um, a port and creme brulee. And I don't like either one of those. And so when it came to that pairing, I kind of tried to turn it down and the sommelier said, no, you need to try it. And, and I'll follow rules. So I took a bite of the creme brulee that I don't like and a sip of my port that I don't like. And it was amazing. And I'm like, this is a whole new taste in my mouth. And two things that I don't like came together and made my mouth very, very, very happy. And I have thought about that so many times. And that's why I want to be a sommelier. So I could figure there, there must be art and science to all of this pairing thing. Then I was like, but the influencer or making a difference. So my idea is I'd like to be a sommelier that would do pairing sessions with a think tank. So you know how like, you know, legislators might go into committee work on something. So we're going to have a wine pairing and I'm going to bring passionate, smart people together and they're going to get to know each other and build some relationships and have some wonderful conversation. Then they're going to go into a think tank and um, try to reimagine and reinvent things. So could you imagine like if if they went into a think tank around standardized testing and education, all these smart, passionate people after having some wine pairing and getting to know each other and, and see what they can come up with in these think tanks. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a wine pairing think tank for passionate, smart people in education and legislatures. That sounds awesome. <laughs> that's What a way to bring that. To- I told you I thought way too much about it. Do you have a journal somewhere where you wrote all that down? I mean, do you have like a business plan or? <laughs> no, are you recording this? <laughs> I might be recording it, maybe. <laughs> oh, that's a great answer. So the next one is, um, what's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower those they lead? I want them to look at what are the ways that you can um, challenge challenge any kind of isolating practices that are happening in your school and how can you try to break down those structures of isolation? Because I think that when we can get teachers together talking and collaborating regularly, we can really do some great things for kids and and also like, be ready to flip your lenses. You know, when I think about uh, one of the things that I like best about my book, Lead with Instructional Rounds, is it flips two really important lenses there. And one is to go from a deficit to a strength 
focused lens, but then also to go from top down to a grassroots lens. So, you know, take a look at the things that um, are in place in your school and, and start thinking of things through flip lens or if something's not working right. How can I, how can I flip some lenses and see if I can change things up in a way that would benefit teachers and their learning and their development so that in, in the end, that's going to benefit kids. Fantastic piece of advice. And even, even more fantastic is everything you've told us today, Vicki. I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast today. You've said so many great things that so many people are going to benefit from. Thank you, Chris. It was really nice to talk with you today and just about, about things that I'm passionate. So thank you for the great questions and the time today. Oh, at Anytime. Um, I hope to continue to collaborate with you. And and just in case anybody else is interested in collaborating with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, yes, I would love to collaborate with anybody. And I have lots of time to do it now. Um, so my email is Vicki, V-I-C-K-I dot Wilson246 at Gmail. I'm active on Twitter. So you can find me at Vicki L. Wilson5. I know these are like complicated. But to make it super easy, you can check out my web- website, which is just vickywilson.org. Someone else took that com and made it way too expensive for me. So I'm at .org and, and that's it. And then you can access me through, through any of those, through um, Facebook, Twitter, email, all of it. Awesome. Well, I'd be surprised if somebody doesn't reach out to you after all the advice you've given. I hope so. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Again, thank you very much. I wish you all the best and I look forward to talking to you soon again sometime. Thank you. You too, Chris. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.